Hey, it's Andrew, and today on the show we have Ahmed Razavi, Global Head of Product Success at ServiceNow. In this episode, we discuss the main difference between customer success and product success, the three key aspects of the product success role, and how ServiceNow's product success team handles and analyzes feedback to provide actionable insights for their product team. We also discuss the importance of understanding your customer's level of maturity, how to prevent churn when your champion's goals are shifting, and why you need to expand the number of champions you have inside your customers' companies. As usual, I'm excited to hear what you think of this episode, and if you have any feedback, I would love to hear from you. You can email me directly on andrew at churn.fm. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter. Enjoy the episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Avrio, a collaborative insights platform built directly into your workflow. With a browser extension and web app, Avrio provides a new way to capture and share data analysis, user research, and learnings directly in context with your team. From data dashboards, Google Slides, and Slack threads, to inside of apps and team members' heads, Avrio captures all of your insights and creates a single source of truth. Visit avrio.com to learn how you can maximize your team's collective knowledge with Avrio. This is Churn.fm, the podcast for subscription economy pros. Each week, we hear how the world's fastest growing companies are tackling churn and using retention to fuel their growth. How do you build a habit-forming product? We crossed over that magic threshold to negative churn. You need to invest in customer success. It always comes down to to retention and engagement. Completely bootstrap, profitable, and growing. Strategies, tactics, and ideas brought together to help your business thrive in the subscription economy. I'm your host, Andrew Michael, and here's today's episode. Hi, Amit. Welcome to the show. Hi, Andrew. Delighted to be here. It's a pleasure having you. For the listeners, Amit is currently the Global Head of Product Success at ServiceNow. Uh, ServiceNow is one of the fastest growing enterprise cloud software companies in the world, above $1 billion. They deliver digital workflows that create great experiences and unlock productivity to approximately 5,400 enterprise customers worldwide, including almost 75% of the Fortune 500. Uh, Prior to ServiceNow, Amid also led customer success, retention, and expansion efforts at companies like SAP Cloud, SuccessFactors, and Saba. Uh, So Amid, uh, you've been tackling these problems almost from the inception. Um, For you, what has been one of your biggest learning over the years? Uh, Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much uh, for the introductions, Andrew. Uh, It's a pleasure to be on your show. I'm a fan of Churn FM, and I've been listening uh, to it regularly. I want to say that probably what has been a, a constant here being the change in customer expectations. I do recall, um, you know, 10, 15 years ago, the customer expectations from their vendor, whether it was the product, their website, their interactions with sales, post sales, were at a different level than they are, they, uh, they are today. And that's something that's been constantly evolving and is something that, um, the um, uh, technology providers need to be aware of so they will be responding and be even ahead of that in terms of um, proactively meeting their customer needs in ways that uh, were not possible um, in the years before. Yeah, I think that's very interesting. I think in the context as well of like 
customer success uh, in itself is is not very old as a concept. So, uh, like as customers have become more sophisticated, I guess like the needs and customer success teams need to be evolving and growing with that. Uh, in the context of that, like maybe you want to let us know a little bit about ServiceNow and uh, what the company does, uh, how you help your customers. Certainly. So ServiceNow is an enterprise cloud company. Our customers are are typically enterprise um, customers with 5,000 and plus employees, and they use our product for enabling digital workflows that make the work inside the organization, uh, whether it's IT work or customer service work possible. And uh, my group at ServiceNow uh, runs the product success, which is a... Um, uh, which is a function that uh, is focused on maximizing customer business value in their experience with or use of our product. Yeah, I really found this fascinating when you mentioned it last time because one of the first times I'd heard of uh, the concept. I think um, maybe you want to talk us about like product success, how this fits in with the context of the customer success team, and in your eyes, like what are the different roles within a customer success team? Certainly, I'd be happy to. Um, as you know, customer success in its broad, broadest definition is when customer achieves their business outcome through their interactions with your company, your brand, your website, your people, sales, support, your knowledge base, and, and of course, your product. Now, product success is, is a subset of customer success, and it's focused on... Um, making sure that the customer achieves their, again, their business outcome through having great experiences with your product. Uh, so interactions and experiences that they have with products uh, and, and they can meet their, that, are meet, that meet their needs, they can do it effortlessly and hopefully in an enjoyable and fun way. And like what would some of the key uh, aspects of the role entail? So how would you enable this product success for customers? Uh, what would the output look like for customers? Certainly. So uh, product success, in, in a short, can be defined as in-product customer success. Um, if you look at, um, for example, the evolution of customer success, the, the very first motion um, was a direct touch where is a, is a model that's typically exerted by, by sales, actually reaching out to customers and asking them uh, about how they're doing and having uh, executive business reviews, QBRs, and, and so forth. Yeah. The second motion was a tech touch, which is typically practiced by marketing, and that is through one-to-many campaigns, could be webinars, um, content that you make available, emails, and so forth. Uh, you reach out to those customers. And the third motion, success motion, is actually in product touch or exerted by product success, which is a sort of a hybrid of product management and customer success, typically could sit into the product, in product organization, but also could be a part of a customer success organization. And um, so there are benefits and, and, you know, for each of these three approaches, direct touch, tech touch, and in product touch. All right, and, and from the product uh, success point of view, would some of the aspects being sort of things like uh, working on onboarding or adoption activities, in-app uh, email sequences, is that my understanding? Or uh, would yeah. that be something more for like product marketing? No, absolutely. I think um, uh, one of the learnings has been 
uh, for me has been that um, um, this needs to be thought through in the product design in terms of um, insights that you can get uh, from, from, from the product usage in product analytics for data-driven insights and decisions. Um, gaining visibility into in the user journey in, in, again, within the product where the users struggle when features are not utilized or where uh, inefficiencies exist. Yeah. Um, the second area is guidance, provide user guidance through walkthroughs and, and tooltips uh, for user onboarding, as you mentioned. And um, what we've also seen that it's actually user onboarding is the first phase, but it's an ongoing adoption uh, of new features um, is, is another aspect. And the third one is user communication, which is um, providing feedback and surveys uh, capabilities for customers so users actually can interact with you. So insights, guidance, and communications are elements of product success, in my opinion. Cool. So there's a couple of things I want to dive a little bit deeper in there that you mentioned. And I think um, the one aspect was around sort of the feedback element is that um, you mentioned like your team would then typically be responsible for collecting and consuming customer feedback that would be fed back. Would this be back into, into the product teams itself? So you would work closely with product managers potentially uh, to like uncover and expose that voice of customer. Would that be right? Absolutely. Yes. Uh, um, obviously feedback or surveys have been around for a long time. You can actually use that for, you know, again, by having the contact list that you have, um, uh, even reaching out one-on-one -on -one with customer, getting their feedback. Uh, but typically the return uh, of the rate of those um, surveys is uh, are low. Uh, they're, they're, whereas yeah. when you do in product and you do it again in, in the context um, of, and, and you also personalize it for, for the, that segment of user group, you have a better feedback. And then, yes, the idea is that actually product success is to take customer feedback and make the product better. Yeah. And in the mention, you mentioned now as well, like sort of segmentation is key in this. Like, uh, what sort of role do you feel as well it makes? Because, like, uh, I think for the saying as well quite a few times, but not all feedback is equal. Um, and I'm a firm believer of this. I think it's like one of the things uh, like early product um, PMs tend to make potentially is they will take feedback and try immediately action all of it. Uh, but in most cases, like uh, not all of it is credit equally, not all of it should be given equal weight. Like what are some of the things that you do when you're analyzing and you're going through the segmentation of feedback that mm -hmm. you help uh, the product team to better understand what should be like the key insights they should be going after? Yeah, good, uh, good question. Uh, I think there are typically um, uh, feedback of different categories. Uh, one is actually to meet their needs. Um, typically, our users use the product to um, uh, get a job done, uh, fulfill certain use case that they have in mind. And so to the extent that use case actually matches with our vision for the product use, we actually make sure that that product that feedback is, is paid with the highest attention. There are some use cases that uh, users want to follow that may not be what the product is designed for, so perhaps those are sort of a nice to haves. Yeah. Um, another category of feedback is actually effort that, things that are make, make the product use effortless. 
and easy. Um, uh, we always, that's something that you always look for to, you know, take the unnecessary clicks and make the, the process uh, of working with the, with, the, with the application as, as seamless as possible and automated as possible. So those are the two categories and how, that's how you actually put back into prioritization bucket. Nice. And I think as well, what you're saying is it's quite similar in terms of like the use cases is quite similar to the concept of the anti-persona. Um, so a lot of companies put together what they call like the ideal customer personas or their user personas. Uh, but sometimes what's more often useful is having like the anti-persona of like who you're not building for and who you should not be paying attention to. So I like it as well that you mentioned sort of the jobs to be done in this concept as well and like focusing on the use cases, what they're trying to achieve because if people are asking for something that the product is not really intended to do or is not the main use case, mm -hmm. uh, it definitely should be like a, a good way to prioritize or deprioritize uh, feedback. I like that. Absolutely. I think there's another element of product success is obviously you, you want to be aware of the, of the users and usage of the product, but also what is important is, 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 the, is the buyer. Typically, uh, I guess, especially in enterprise software, um, the buyer may be different from that of the actual customer, may be different than that of the users. For example, they could be head of IT that be purchasing your solution for, let's say, 1,000 employees in, in a call center. So for the buyer, what is important, obviously, the feedback that they get from the users, how, how good the product is, and how well they can do their jobs, but also they want to know that they're actually achieving their business outcomes. Uh, and that would be basically the business results that they'll be getting as a result of use of the product. And to the extent you can actually call out and show those results in the application and make your uh, executive buyer also a user of your solution, you're actually successful in, 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 in informing them as well as uh, showing them how well the product is used and how, how well they're achieving their business outcome. And then, so in that as well, would you look at like different feedback against the buyer persona versus the user personas as well? And would you treat them in different uh, ways? Absolutely, yes. So for the executive uh, buyers, typically what we, we take a direct touch approach. Um, so for those accounts, especially the accounts that are high value or potential value to us, we make sure that we actually connected with them. Uh, and we, on a regular basis, we actually, you know, go through um, the results of the um, use of the application. And uh, that way we can get feedback in terms of where they see in their, in their journey and what would be, what are the next things that they wish to accomplish with, with your product. Yeah, very interesting. Um, so another thing you mentioned as well, Amid, was um, the concept of onboarding um, and sort of activating users to new features and keeping them informed. And I think one of the concepts as well when it comes to onboarding is like often people see it as like a binary. It's like you've either been onboarded or you're not. And it starts from the time you sign up and it's typically like a 15-day period or whatever it is mm -hmm. where this onboarding process happens. Um, but we've talked, we've spoken previously as well in previous episodes uh, with the CEO of Chameleon who builds uh, onboarding software. Um, and the concept there as well, and we probably, we discussed about this last time we chatted, was that onboarding itself doesn't really stop 
after the first couple of weeks. And essentially this onboarding process, you forever onboarding your customer, whether it be to educate them how to start using your product, whether it's be updating them on new products and features and getting new adoption from that perspective. But what are some of the things that you do as a company uh, and that you've learned over the years to be really successful in ensuring that you not just sort of set and forget, okay, I've given them this onboarding, it's done, and uh, now just focus on the next sort of customers. Like, how are you continuously thinking about onboarding in the context of the user's life cycle? Yeah, and I think perhaps then onboarding would be not a, a term that we would be using for a customer who's actually been initially onboarded user, because as, as you mentioned, it's a continuous journey, and uh, maybe it would be then ongoing adoption of, of your product features and functions. Um, as you know, most of us actually, the, the applications that we roll out, they, they constantly get enhanced, new capabilities are being introduced, and you want to move your users from the level that they are in to the higher level of maturity in terms of use of your products. So one thing that we do is actually create a maturity model for our, for our accounts and, and, and keep track of the users that are at different levels of maturity of, of user product. Um, there are advanced areas of the product, for example, for example, predictive analytics and, and advanced BI that would like the customers to get to that point, actually using those capabilities. Um, and to get there, it will require uh, a number of you know, customer success approaches. One is to in-product by providing walkthroughs and tool tips. Um, uh, you know, checklists are, 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 I've seen that being used. And as well as you know, um, access to resources like, um, you know, webinars and, um, and email campaigns that make them aware of the new capabilities, release um, information about the releases, new release capabilities and so forth. Yeah, so very interesting as well. Like uh, you mentioned three aspects when it comes to how product success works within the product organization. And uh, as you mentioned, I think this ongoing adoption is critical. Uh, feedback is super important and I, I love the aspect in terms of the way that you segment not only your feedback but also looking at the product adoption and the maturity. Uh, next thing I wanted to touch on a little bit and we started talking about it in the beginning but I think we can go a little bit deeper and we, we can dive into this because I think uh, you've had a career now like 10, 20 years uh, in the software business. Uh, you were around in the early days uh, when SaaS was being introduced and uh, businesses were slowly starting to try and move over to subscription-based revenue. Um, throughout this process, like, how has customer success and customer service and supports like, evolved over the years? So you mentioned as well like customer demands being one aspect of it. Uh, what else have you noticed uh, that's changed? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that what has changed is actually the, you know, we when we talk about the new subscription economy. Obviously, we make draw parallels to sales and marketing and how those have changed. Uh, both customer success and customer support have undergone massive transformation as well. The especially customer support in um, in the on-premise world, which was a sort of a capability that needed to be there uh, yeah. to fulfill the fiduciary responsibility of, of the vendor now has become a, pro, a center for proactive um, guidance for the customer. Um, typically, um, you know, through self-service capabilities, knowledge base, community, 
um, and using omni-channel capabilities to communicate with the, with the, with the customers and users, uh, customer support has become a sort of a, 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 a itself has become very effective in, in proactively guiding the customers. And I can see that with customer success can actually be working more closely with, with support and infrastructure that's there to inform the customers about their usage, adoption, uh, various issues, the same way that they do with the, you know, the problems that customer have about how to use a product and so forth. Uh, the domains are different, but the same delivery can be used for, for uh, in, in customer outcome. support, yes. Yeah, I, I like as well that, and it's another good perception as well. I said, like, typically in the past, supports is like a uh, push, I mean, sorry, it's like a pull uh, versus a push, and it's sort of like a, um, a, a center that's typically seen as a cost center. So, like, it's, you typically see supports as like a cost on the business. Um, but when you take it from a different angle and different frame and you say, okay, wait a second, like there is this concept now emerging of, uh, like support driven growth where the support team is no longer just there to, uh, like wait for customers to reach out or to provide support, but also on the flip side is like, how can support be more proactive? That's actually going to encourage usage. That's going to get their customers, um, using the product more and, in the context of this, like, what are some of the things that you're doing at ServiceNow from a support uh, perspective that you think are, are being done really well? Yeah, I think uh, ServiceNow, with its foundation in IT service management, uh, um, is looking at the end-to-end uh, -end customer support uh, and, and looking at various ways that uh, you could proactively resolve customer issues even before the customers become aware of it. Um, for example, if the data center is down or certain servers are not performing, you can, you can identify the impacted uh, customers and inform them about their, the issue and expected resolution time. Um, those kind of things actually require sort of end-to-end -end automation um, across your, infra your infrastructure, your uh, uh, computing and network uh, capabilities, as well as, you know, uh, all the way to, to the customer. Um, so proactive customer service management is one that, um, uh, that I know ServiceNow and other companies are, are pushing towards because as, as you mentioned, it is no longer, customer support is no longer viewed as a reactive and cost center nice. operation. Yeah. And I like is that as well, like you're mentioning, like proactively reaching out to customers when you know there's a problem before your customers know there's a problem. And, uh, more often than not, this is like one of those big areas of frustration where somebody potentially doesn't know that there's a problem and they come to use your service and then they get hit with this problem at a time when they're really looking for a solution. Uh, I think it almost creates a wow moment for customers is if something has gone wrong and you're already proactively fixing uh, that component within your product, within your service, or it may be an error of their side, uh, an omission of data or a uh, false entry and uh, causing an error. Like mm -hmm. if your support team is is really proactive in that aspect, that's like a definite wow moment, I think, for customers. Yeah, absolutely. And that same level of proactiveness is expected of customer success. So uh, you can use those same channels of communication, perhaps a different target audience and issues around, uh, you know, onboarding issues, uh, adoption, customer 
even maturities that make it make the executive sponsor aware of those issues or product progress that customer is making and even provide the uh, you know ultimately provide indication of business value to the customer how how much they're saving or how much they're actually incremental revenue they're creating and how much they're helping their customers or their employees by using your product so those proactive uh, communications can come either from customer support or customer success, but typically the same, um, uh, use the same proactive notion that, that goes out to the customer. Yeah. And, and ultimately like really the focus on what value are you delivering? Uh, so your customers are constantly informed and reminded like how valuable your service is. Uh, cause I think like obviously at the core of it really like that's where churn and retention happens is when your customers feel that they're not uh, receiving value. Um, so on the topic of churn and retention, uh, I would ask you a hypothetical uh, question now, scenario is, let's pretend um, you've just joined a new company, you're in a new role now, and you've been asked to take a look at churn and retention. It's not doing so great at the company. And um, they say to you, okay, you're in charge now. We want you to try and sort this out for us and turn things around. What would be some of the key things that you would want to do in the first two to three months after joining? Yeah, yeah, certainly. Uh, obviously, you go to a new company, you know, you want to familiarize with yourself, with the product, with the space they're in, the relationship that typically they would have with their customers. Um, now, in, when, you, when you actually double-click on, on churn, there are a few things. Uh, in terms of the number of customers, the dollar value of customers, so the progression that customer went through prior, all the way to the churn point is important. So to the extent that they have data available, you want to actually peruse through that data. You want to really understand. And, uh, and then also ask key questions like why. Uh, we know that this happened, but... Uh, Typically, uh, when you talk to sales, customer success, they have their own viewpoint. Uh, I would also try to augment that with the, what actually has customer has said about why they, they churn. Um, um, so you try to put that, that feedback uh, together with the data that you have to create as complete a picture about the underlying reasons for churn. Um, churn cannot be prevented all the time, but you can actually point out the early indications of, of churn and as risk factors, address them. So for that, uh, you would need both data and uh, customer feedback. Yeah, and in terms of like, so those early indicators, like what are some of the examples that you've seen mm -hmm. in the past of an early indicator that uh, account is at risk or will be churning? Yeah, um, there are quite a few. I, I, what I like, actually, I like David Scott's um, the top two reasons. Um, the only thing that I would add is that um, I, I, I double click on those. Uh, the first one I think was failure to successfully onboard yeah. uh, users. That is definitely true. I will expand it to say that product usage pattern are, are also are very say important. You onboard and the ongoing adoption because you may actually have a successful onboarding, but the trend is as important as your initial success. So how is your, is your data is trending is is uh, usage trending downward, then there, those are, that could be an early indication. Yeah. Um, uh, also, customer interaction level is important. So are they uh, interacting uh, with you as if they care? If they're running into issues, are they reporting them? Um, 
uh, and if you're informing them about the business results, again, how, how are they responding? So um, that's the sort of quality feedback that you get. Uh, the second reason that, that David Scott brought up is loss of champion. Definitely, if your champion has moved uh, the role or with the company, that's, that's important. Uh, but also, what I've learned is that actually, if the champion opinion may be changing. So it is important. They might have bought the product at, uh, be, for certain reasons, but now that they have, they have the product, they have different goals. So it is important that, uh, that you keep in touch and get to know about champion because their opinions might be changing as well. Um, and then there are factors that are outside of your control. Uh, this happens in the enterprise, but probably in the SMB and mid-market even more, where there is um, in the, you know, dramatic industry shift or trend uh, or some economic model changes within account, uh, the business model changes. And then as a result, uh, those are those that you don't have control over, but actually you can, you can attribute to those factors that as well. Yeah, I, I like that point that you made as well of the customer champion's opinion changing over time. Uh, and it makes total sense in the sense that like in the beginning, you uh, still looking for a solution to your problem, but you don't really understand that problem well enough yet a lot of the times. Um, so you come in and you tend to pick the best solution you deem to be the right fit in the market. Uh, but I've seen it in my case more often than not as well. As you start to dive into it and you, you learn the problem a little bit better, you figure the solution out that you have a little bit better, you start to see those goalposts shifting and your needs and your wants from a tool uh, become more demanding as you become more sophisticated as a user. So I really like that you mentioned like sort of keeping tabs on the opinions and the needs of the customer as they evolve as well. Yeah. And also your champions might be changing. Um, for example, when... Your champion initially could be the person actually who introduces you to the company um, and may come from even IT function, uh, not necessarily from line of business, who's recommending for the business. But now that your system actually is operational, you need to look into having champions that are com they come from line of business, the, the beneficiaries, is the VP of customer support, is the VP of uh, sales or marketing, is that person now a champion? Typically, they don't get involved in the early stages, but then as they be, the user, their staff use the product, they become more and more interested. Um, the champions could also be coming from different ranks. For example, somebody who is actually administering the system or some of your power users uh, who could be your champions and ultimately turn into your advocates. So I, I, wouldn't, I would say that uh, that's something that requires, um, you know, uh, cultivation with the account, not that they become their customer. You look for having great number of champions for different roles that they play in your software. And you evolution. expand those relationships. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what would be some ways typically like companies could do this and uh, like expand those relationships? Cause like more often than not as well, like customer success teams will have an initial point of contact from company. Um, but then like to get into the rest of the company and to start building up relationships with others uh, could be a challenge. Like what are some of the things that companies can do to cultivate and build those relationships? Very good. I think the selling actually never stops. And, and the idea of selling is actually to helping those who are actually benefiting the, uh, the solution uh, be able to, you know, to give them an opportunity to express themselves in terms of the value that they are getting. Sometimes they require coaching um, 
uh, that is can be done also by sales or customer success. Uh, I think that whole uh, area of uh, you know turning champions into your advocates, um, and I call champions different from ad- from advocates. Champions are people actually who are champion within the company. Advocates are those who actually promote you to the broader um, audience, to other companies, and they're willing to speak at the conferences and and um, do the webinars and videos and and so forth. We always look for in, in our interactions with the with the with the customer. We look for indications of of success, expressions of uh, of satisfaction over the results, the value that they're receiving, um, and and if they do, we ask them actually if they're willing to you know to share that to the broader audience. We're willing to speak at our at the at the at the conference or um, um, uh, and and surprisingly not uh, many people actually. Are interested when they see the value. They like to see themselves as an extension of your company, um, and they like the story to be told. So, um, uh, one of the methods that we also use is product advisory council, a customer advisory board, uh, yeah. and those are the more senior people in in the company that again give you feedback. You may have actually different levels. You can have actually user advisory board as well, um, uh, and they not only give you feedback, but they're also willing to be your champion, your advocates. Yeah, I like as well that you mentioned now the different levels. Uh, so you have the cab, like the customer advisory board, the user advisory board, uh, and just looking at it at different levels as well, like in terms of like the buyer persona again. So it, it definitely sounds like throughout your career and through the different roles, like uh, you have a heavy focus in making sure that you're speaking to the right people and listening uh, to the right feedback. Uh, I love that. Um, cool. So maybe last question and we can wrap up for today. Um, and this is a question I think it's always like a, an interesting debate. Uh, but in your opinion, like who should own retention within a company? Hmm. Um, that's, a, that's a good question. I think initially... Uh, it doesn't matter, but as you scale, who should who should own it? Uh, and I would think that uh, when it comes to again, I can speak to the enterprise space. Um, when it comes to the renewal and and upsell, um, it it is important that you have actually dedicated team who are who are expert at pulling through the renewal and 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 the upsell. Uh, and the reason I say that is that because there's a lot of administrative work that has to go through with it. It's not just selling. It's not just about proof of success. Uh, so I would think that you need renewal managers uh, who are specialized in this, who will be helping sales or customer success if they they own they own it. So you would say as well from that aspect, like uh, customer success uh, has two components. Like obviously one, we were talking about it quite a bit, is like the onboarding, is the constant um, like product success angle as well and then you would have this really specialized team focused on renewals and um, like making sure that people are still around uh, a year from now yeah that's correct I, I can say it from the enter- for the enterprise customer standpoint because renewals are typically done by the procurement department managed by them and requires uh, you know a specialized skill to deal with them now in terms of pr- proof of the value customer success can make and make sure that the that the champion, the business champion, is on board with with the renewal and the upsell that you're that that is being worked on. But in terms of the actual renewal management, 
I would think that would be a specialized. Yeah. So, I mean, essentially what you're saying as well is, is it's a bit of a team effort, but if it comes down to it, like the, the renewal team would be the team who would be the ones responsible at the end of the day for closing those deals and making sure people stick around. Exactly. Especially as, you know, your renewal numbers even become larger than your sales number in every, every in given quarter. Uh, it is important that you have even a, a you know, dedicated team motion yeah. focused on that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, Amid, uh, it's been a pleasure having you today. Like some really, really interesting insights. Uh, very interesting as well, listening from somebody who's been around from almost the beginning and uh, pretty much seen it all. Uh, I love hearing as well a little bit about the product success component and how this is going to be uh, definitely an interesting uh, area to watch within customer success and within product itself. So uh, thanks very much for joining the show and I wish you best of luck now going forward on your new endeavors. Absolutely. Thank you very much for having me. Cheers. Cheers. Bye. And that's a wrap for the show today with me, Andrew Michael. I really hope you enjoyed it and you're able to pull out something valuable for your business. To keep up to date with Churn.fm and be notified about new episodes, blog posts, and more, subscribe to our mailing list by visiting churn.fm. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you have any feedback, good or bad, I would love to hear from you, and you can provide your blunt, direct feedback by sending it to andrew at churn.fm. Lastly, but most importantly, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it and leave a review as it really helps get the word out and grow the community. Thanks again for listening. See you again next week.